Hi everyone, this is Stefan Partolo, and welcome to the Finding Sustainability podcast. Today I'm talking with Maria Jose Badagan. Maria is the science director for the Charles Darwin Foundation on the Galapagos Islands in Ecuador. She oversees the organization's 20 marine and terrestrial research projects and is helping to make many of them interdisciplinary and inclusive of local stakeholder needs and knowledge. Maria received her undergraduate degree in the biological sciences from Pontifical Catholic University in Ecuador. She received a master's degree at the Technical University of Munich in Germany and a PhD in human geography from Memorial University of Newfoundland in Canada. In the podcast, we discuss her multidisciplinary education and how she has brought this perspective into the research projects now being implemented by the Charles Darwin Foundation. We discuss research agenda setting processes, the importance of sustainable resource use and tourism on the islands, and get an overview of some of the ongoing research being done today. Enjoy. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Stefan, for inviting me. Before we get into the, the detail of your work on the Charles Darwin Foundation and the research in the organization, maybe you can just tell what your average day is like to start with. What did you, I know it's early morning in, in the Galapagos now. What have you done today? What does an average day look like for you? Yeah, it depends. First of all, uh, I'm really glad to to share my, my life and my experience and my work tasks from, from every day with you guys. Um, here, the, the work is very dynamic, and I have been in this position for one half, one and a half years. So I cannot tell you about a standard day because every day could could happen that sudden sudden events or sudden changes occur to my schedule. But in an average day, basically, we start very early in the morning. 7:45 is our starting office work time, simply because in the in the hot season it becomes really really hot. So we take advantage of the fresh heat air in the, in the very early morning and then we save a bit of, of time in the midday to, to take a rest and, and have a longer break to to be recovered from the heat so the schedule is a bit early and normally i'm doing administrative tasks in a very early uh, time from my for my day i basically follow up processes on paperwork administrative part of the, the projects I, I surveil, uh, phone calls, answering emails. So this occupies a substantial amount of my time. Uh, I also deal with visiting uh, people, visiting scientists, VIPs coming to us, some potential donors coming to us. And I also need to represent the institution in that, in that perspective. Um, attending meetings. It's also substantial uh, demanding part of my time. I also need to co- coordinate and collaborate with institutions locally, uh, either organizing meetings here at home, I mean, uh, at the Charles Darwin Station, or attending meetings somewhere else. Traveling uh, also takes an uh, important part of my time, either nationally or internationally. So I'm being here in the archipelago is a bit challenging, uh, the logistics part. So it takes twice the time from normal city in the world to be get connected and flights connections are a bit complicated since we need to go fly to mainland first and then take any other connection to any other city. So in general, these are a major part of, of my of my schedule. However, I also keep one day in a week to do and continue doing my research and writing a couple of papers that I need to, to write and keeping my my academic and, and intellectual part developing. So I don't want to to be excluded from that from that part that I enjoy very much and that I would like to sometime be back. Uh, so it means that I shut the door and, and simply keep my, my uh, concentration on readings and, and writing and advancing some ideas for, for projects or proposals that I need to, to develop. So that is in general what I what I do. Uh, of course, science management and, and project management takes much uh, heavier weight in my schedule. Uh, and also the, the research part is not as high represented as I would like, but this is the, the way it is. I mean, this position is more to oversee and, and, and surveil all the development of projects here in the station and the, the foundation. So this is my, my major task. Interesting. Now, before we get into some of those tasks, which I definitely want to hear about the different projects that you have going on on the islands, I'm really interested in your career path. I know that you have spent or have done education in in different countries around the world. 
and making this transition, especially from uh, more of an academic context into, I guess you could say, a more NGO or a practical context, you, you can better explain how you would define it, the p position you're in now. But I think this transition and the reason why a lot of people start uh, master's programs or PhDs is, is not always to go into academia, but to think about doing more practical conservation work. And I'd be interested if you could explain a little bit about your your academic history and then how that led to your current position now? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's interesting because um, I, I'm biologist by training. I always wanted to, since I was a child, I, I always said I wanted to be biologist and, and I became one. Uh, I did biological sciences as an undergrad and then uh, I got in touch with the marine protected area in the mainland, which deeply influenced my interest in getting um, this more biological, ecological aspect of uh, marine mammals at that time. And then I did my undergrad thesis with Humber Whales. Since then, I, I started to be a bit curious about what, what else is behind these conservation practices and policies behind, in that case, whales. And then since this area was a very important uh, place for uh, fisheries, then I started to make the linkages between conservation of whales and at that time sea turtles and uh, impacts and influencing of fishing and small-scale fisheries into the wildlife conservation, marine wildlife conservation. So after doing my undergrad, I realized that, yes, whales were fantastic and sea turtles they were so. However, the problems and conflicts occurring in that place uh, still were present and it was barely... Uh, address in the in the context of how the interaction between fisheries and wildlife, marine wildlife, could be better solved or even better understood. So since my undergrad, I stayed, I remained for at least ten years working in an NGO at that time, uh, and then I decided to to pursue a grad grad studies. So I went to Germany. I left Ecuador. And I went to Germany and then I did my master's in, in uh, sustainable resource management. Knowing that this biological background from my previous work uh, served me a lot and it was really useful to understand a lot of components within this equation, nature, society. However, I missed this uh, social part in the, in the equation. Lucky me, uh, I met uh, one professor at my master's who was my supervisor, my master's thesis supervisor. And he basically got this topic that I was really interested in, addressing human-wildlife conflicts. Um, I was really intrigued by his uh, area of expertise and his research uh, area. So I did my master's with him, and then he recruited me to do the PhD in Canada. He is a professor in, in a Canadian university. Of course, he was a terrestrial person, and I was always a marine driven interest person. So I got into Canada knowing that my my thesis, my dissertation, um, where was in, in, imagined to be a marine research linked to what he was doing. However, um, the situation was not as I thought, simply because his area of expertise was specifically terrestrial and it was a bit complicated for him to get into the marine dimension. Again, lucky me, I met who was my um, co-supervisor, my PhD supervisor, uh, and she became, at the end of the day, my main mentor and inspiration and still is my um, colleague and, and friend and co-author. So we still are in touch simply because she is a, a fisheries scientist from the social sciences perspective. So once I met her, I realized, oh, this is exactly what I wanted to do. And I kept uh, him as a co-supervisor and, and her as my main supervisor in the dissertation, but I got really into the area I wanted, which is a more governance and governability of uh, resources, marine resources, ocean governance, and the dynamics between sociology and natural sciences, and this interface between these two major systems within protected areas, for instance. So at the end, I got graduated with my PhD in human geography. So it was a transition from biological sciences as an undergrad through sustainable resource management at the master level. Uh, and then I became a geographer, human geographer at the PhD. So it was, it was a very interesting path. And I now see backwards and, 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 and wonder myself. Wow, how I did it. Because coming from biological sciences, 
enabled me to to understand and, and look at things differently. But getting and landing into a geography department at the very beginning, I was a bit, let's say, confused simply because I was never exposed to such a complex uh, scenario of, of disciplines and, and, and subjects and, and topics. So I asked at that time, I asked myself, oh my God, how, what am I here and what I'm doing here? I now recognize this as a very enriching and fantastic experience and opportunity for me to get exposed to different disciplinary uh, scenarios that I never was before. And this now serves me substantially to, to identify and better understand issues going on in my daily daily life and my daily work. So this mixing of disciplines, mixing of traditions and methodological approaches and philosophies of, of science from qualitative, quantitative, from natural to social sciences is really uh, or has really helped me in better understanding many situations that I would have never been able to earlier in my career. Mm -hmm. So going from natural sciences to social sciences, um, I consider myself a, a really transdisciplinary or even multidisciplinary professional. And I'm really grateful for this because now it's, it, it, it is a very different approach that I had earlier. So once I got my PhD, I then was working for a year as a postdoctoral fellow um, in the Canary Islands. I went to Tenerife and I spent almost a year working with the university and the project on fisheries. So fisheries then became my major focus. Small-scale fisheries from the social side became my, my major research uh, objective and research agenda. And since then, I have been taking research on fisheries as my focus into, into what I, I wanted and I, I'm interested in developing in the future as well. So after Tenerife and this fellowship, um, I went to Bremen. And then I landed at the CMT doing this postdoctoral position and research um, development and knowledge sociology working group within the social sciences area. So then to me uh, meant a completely different approach and very theoretical and, and intellectual debate and, and reflection and growing on, on these more social and sociology based uh, discourses and, and knowledges. And I again realize how, how lucky I am into this, getting this this, uh, this dimension of a complementary area and discipline to, again, give me more insights and more ways and possibilities for me to understand, better understand the issues and challenges. So at the end, this undergrad and postgrad and postdoc uh, make me a, a bit of a mix of a cocktail of disciplines, which I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with. Um, and after the postdoc, then was the, the shift and from an, an undergrad in biology, uh, working for an NGO at that time, shifting to grad studies, and then moving to postdoc and, and, and working time has been a really enriching process, I would say. And the most enriching part, I believe, is this being exposed to these multiple, multiple and diverse disciplinary arenas. And then I... I that's my, my message always that I, I was asked about. What is the the most the home take message for that? And it's like getting away or getting out of your comfort zone, disciplinary speaking, helps helps a lot to to better look at the big picture, at the big uh, the big situation. So after being in the CMT uh, for almost two years, I was recruited by the Charles Darwin Foundation for to occupy this position as a science director. Mm, and this is the second area, let, let's say in that way. Uh, Charles Darwin Foundation has two main main areas in this in this institution. One is the more uh, admin and fundraising part, who is occupied by the executive director, and the second part is the science and the scientific area, which is uh, led by me. So I'm the science head department, and so. This is my, my current my current job. So I was hired in 2018, early 2018. Um, and since then, I have been working here in Galapagos Islands. Wow. Yeah. Well, you're, I didn't know that you came from a biology undergraduate degree. And thinking now, um, it's at MT in Bremen, uh, for those who, who don't know, is where you and I were cross paths, I guess you could say. I'm still at the ZMT in Bremen. 
Um, but thinking that your your transition from biology into Anna Katarina Hornig's work, working group in sociology, that's a complete methodological and almost epistemological swing, I would say, um, in terms of research methodologies and the perspective that you take and looking on research. And it seems now that you had a very positive perspective on where that has led you. Um, and, and I've heard that from others as well, that in this, this interdisciplinary training or this more of a mixed bag between your, your undergraduate, your master's and your PhD and postgraduate work um, wasn't necessarily planned and maybe somewhat unconventional, but in the end, it, it seemed, at least for others and your, and your perspective as well, to be very beneficial. Was there, at the time, did you have a lot of doubts about that path when you were going through it? Did you really foresee that that would be something that would be beneficial for you now? I wouldn't I wouldn't look at it as a very structured way. I mean, I, I never, ever planned to be a geographer, if, if I'm honest. But the situation took me so so smoothly so naturally from one step to the other that i now see connections that at that time maybe i, I have overlooked but these connections uh, were basically made by my own interests I, I i would say and at that time i i never never felt like um, unsure of whether or not should i take the next step but instead uh, how to get it better or how to get it more benefits from the situation I was at. From undergrad to postgrad, I mean, from undergrad at the biological sciences until I got the master's, I got like um, a bit of delay in terms of deciding deciding or, or taking the, the, the step to, to register myself in the master's course. But it was due to my compromises and my commitments into the work I was doing at the time. So from what I when I'm finished my undergrad, it took me like not twice the time it regularly takes an undergrad student, regular student, to get into grad studies studies. But to me, I now see it as, as an advantage. And maybe some of my classmates at that time got into masters very early. I mean, really after finishing undergrad they got into the masters. And I was at that time feeling, oh, they are already doing masters, so maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a bit late. However, I now see that time, I mean, from the pre undergrad until the master's time, as a really, really useful time of getting experience, getting exposed to working environment, getting more uh, familiar with issues, getting more uh, comfortable interacting with institutions with stakeholders with disciplinary different disciplinary backgrounds in working groups i mean as a, as a teamwork member so these were very useful time years that i learned a lot and this, those years really helped me into the masters going in a very in a more focused way in a more direct way and to what exactly i wanted to to pursue at the end on the contrary, some of my classmates in the masters, for instance, um, they were landed after graduating from from undergrad. So they were into the masters with a different approach. Maybe it was good for them, but I realized that sometimes students are really taking the masters as an as a following up pre grad or undergrad. I I don't know whether it's it's really good to get into the grad studies if you are not. 100% sure what exactly you want, simply because it's a waste of time. So to me, it was helpful to continue working after undergrad and getting this experience. And this experience has been substantially important in my entire career. Yeah, that's an interesting reflection. I see that now with some of the students coming out of our master's program, that they seem to be thinking about doing PhDs as the next step. And uh, then the next question I usually ask is is why they're interested in doing that. And a lot of the time the answer is they're not really sure. It just seems like the next next step, if you don't know what to do, you should then do the PhD. And I'm not sure that's a, if that's a good choice. That's an interesting reflection from you that having a purpose for, for going into studying a program uh, could be beneficial in the end. And I'm not sure that's the path that, that most students take these days. Uh, I wanted to ask about now going into a little bit your projects with Charles Darwin Foundation. When I think of the Galapagos, you have this kind of, or at least the way I think about it is this nostalgic history of science where you have this kind of epicenter, at least the, uh, one of the narratives around the epicenter of evolutionary biology coming from these islands. 
I mean, a lot of the discoveries that have come out of there and a lot of the uh, scientific reflections and, and thought processes that have led from the discoveries on the Galapagos Islands. What are the, when you think about today, what are some of the main challenges on the Galapagos? What are driving the research questions and the scientific research programs that are being led at the Charles Darwin Foundation? And it would, then it would be great to hear what some of those programs are. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, Charles Darwin Foundation uh, becomes 60 years this year. So we are now 60 years old. It means that we were um, created in 1959 at the time when the attention for Galapagos was a very different one as the one it is at present days. So we need to count that into, into consideration simply because the way we looked at science and the way we look at nature substantially differs from the one the, the way scientists look at Galapagos at that time. So, 1959, the Charles Darwin Foundation is created as an NGO. It's an international NGO, which was built to support um, decisions and policy making from the just-born National Galapagos National Park. So we were born together. The Galapagos National Park Directorate and us, we were created in the same year, with weeks apart. So since then, we have been considered, and we still are considered, the scientific branch or the scientific um, support advisor agency for the National Park Directorate. In the early 60s, the science and the way scientists came and looked at Galapagos uh, was more in track or driven by the interest of discovering the unknown, the identifying the things were not un- were not con- known at that time, label the unknown things, discovering species, and basically inspired by this notion of taming the wild. Sixties were also years of um, exploration and interest of people knowing that this nature paradise imagined area were also part of the potential interest for first and early tourists to come into to the island. So after work term meant for some wealthy people start looking out of their own countries and exploring areas like uh, this archipelago to, to go and, and, and have uh, time to, to enjoy this nature and wilderness in the way they imagine it. So this notion of wilderness and this notion of discovering the new motivated early explorers uh, in the early 20th century to come to Galapagos and start doing research with that uh, perspective. So at the very beginning and, and some years ago, until some years ago, the main motivation and the main research focus of researchers coming to Galapagos have been natural sciences and earth physical uh, exact sciences. So motivations from researchers in the 50s and 60s needed to be adapted and needed to be evaluated in how now our institution is going into the 61st anniversary. So since my arrival um, and in 2016, we can consider as a breaking point between the after and, and before between in, in Charles Darwin history, simply because we signed an agreement in 2016. We signed an agreement with the government, with the state of Ecuador, for the third time in history, which allows us to be here, to be using this space, and to continue being uh, that NGO in Galapagos uh, dimension. So since 2016, with this agreement in mind, we are mandated to fulfill the National Park objectives following the management plan for the National Park, but also fulfilling these agreement uh, articles and also getting those linked into a more global scale, which are the sustainable development goals. So now we have, from the normative perspective, a local and national and global instruments that guide our, our work. However, the, the reassessment or re-evaluation of what science is and what science does and, and what science should do into the current and future scenarios for Galapagos needed to be also reflected on. And we did a very interesting exercise upon my arrival into how and what the science agenda from Charles Darwin Station should is, is and should be like. 
So since then, since the last year, we have been doing internal exercises and, and very active and participative processes <clears throat> within some local stakeholders and partner institutions into identifying critical aspects of critical areas where we want to invest more time uh, at doing research in the future. And these are, uh, from that perspective, a more complex way to look at problems and a more uh, diverse way to look at issues and challenges threatening the conservation and sustainability of this archipelago. Mm -hmm. Since that, or from that standpoint, now we are really looking into projects and project proposals being negotiated with donors into a more complex way. So we are trying to shift a little bit the focus onto species, from species, from flag species, into a more comprehensive concepts as uh, sustainability and even as the challenges like globalization, climate change, um, pollution, ocean, ocean governance, and so on. So due to the fact that we depend 100% upon donations, we run a budget fully supported by donations, we also need to fulfill the donors' uh, interests and the donors' focus into what they want to invest the money in. So despite that situation, we still need to adapt our agenda into a more effective and to a more legitimate aspect to, to do our research, integrating now more social aspects into the agenda. Since then, we have been restructuring and rethinking and reflecting on how to better integrate these social dimensions into the research we do. And we still consider and we still believe natural sciences research, pure scientific research is still really valuable, really legitimate and really helpful and urgent. Uh, however, we also consider now social sciences research as a, a substantial important part of the, the task we need to fulfill. And this is not only due to our interests as an institution, but also this is also the mandate from the National Park Directorate and the management plan for the protected areas in Galapagos that aligns to the national um, policy for research. So these are more or less what and how we, we are now framing our research agenda. Uh, the question is to what extent we can we can follow with the, with the line into getting attention from donors to, to donate us in that sense, simply because, as you mentioned earlier, Galapagos have, has always been imagined as the wildlife and, and, and wilderness destination, and therefore the, the human side has been not explicitly mentioned or not even always present. So this is a bit of, of a challenge how to, to motivate donors into what we need uh, to, to address currently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find it fascinating, this uh, process of agenda setting, which you mentioned that you have a more of a multi-level process where you have local and then, and then state and then perhaps international donors. And I wonder what the tipping point was for shifting the agenda setting process towards more maybe from a top-down into a more stakeholder inclusion process. For you, what was the what was the tipping point in, in, in trying to, to guide uh, the process of agenda setting within the organization to include stakeholders? And was there any pushback from the government agencies or any of the donors who were involved? I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim so. I, I would say that is a coincidence between my background. I'm, I, I was already um, convinced from that necessity uh, early enough. And since I got, I got into the social sciences dimension and I was really uh, trained and, and, and sensitive enough to, to recognize the necessity so I, I wouldn't claim it's my it's my contribution alone but it coincided with the the institution necessity and also uh, from the national park management plan objectives and the national agenda for research that we need to count more into the human side because there is evidence that proves that working isolatedly and, and working with a, within one disciplinary frame is not the way we should do and we should go, simply because the complexities in Galapagos are so large and the scale at which they are occurring are so important that one single discipline cannot solve and cannot answer all the questions we have. So we need to shift that. And the tipping point, I would say, is basically the urgency 
into the challenges against the conservation of this archipelago, knowing that local communities depend upon those uh, natural capital assets. So we need to recognize that the natural capital from Galapagos depend upon the urgency and actions that we could take as a scientist or as research station or as even managers and decision makers. So the tipping point basically is the necessity, I would say, and the urgency of, of the challenges we are, are faced to. Can you or do you have a good example of how agenda setting as a result of, of stakeholder inclusion, uh, for example, engaging with local fishers or, for example, engaging with uh, operators in the tourism sector on the Galapagos has helped change the understanding or help change the scientific approach uh, of some of the projects that you have for the better and, and led to perhaps better results? Do you have any examples mm-hmm. um, that you could give for us? Yeah, I have a very nice example. And, and, and it's, it's maybe, again, it's a coincidence that it's, um, it's one of the projects I'm more linked to simply because as a natural uh, initiative and as a natural interest I have been more and more in touch with is the fisheries project. And for decades, and as a tradition, the Charles Darwin Station has, has been developing research on fisheries, a focus on fisheries biology or fisheries ecology or even fisheries uh, economy into stocks, stocks assessment or species description and, and, and so on. And this is the very useful information that managers and decision makers have used to take decisions and suggest actions, management actions, uh, to protect fishing resources in Galapagos. And the the two fisheries that currently are managed by the National Park Directorate, the lobster fishery and the sea cucumber fishery, uh, are examples of those information being used to to conserve and protect these species from overexploitation. However, uh, this currently fisheries project address sustainability of fisheries in Galapagos and for the first time, the fishing, the fisheries, uh, fisheries project team uh, includes not only biologists, not only ecologists and fish, uh, fishery ecologists, but also includes social scientists as part of the staff. So we have economists in the team and we have sociologists in the team. So this, to me, illustrates really nicely how the multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary approaches in addressing one topic could be illustrated by multidisciplinary team groups, not only answering natural sciences-driven questions, but also understanding and taking social sciences research questions as important to understand the main and major um, project question itself. And additionally, for the first time, this project is addressing also one component and one element from the knowledge of fishers, fishers' knowledge into consideration to explain and to compare with scientific knowledge about adaptability of fisher sector against the uh, climate change. So this project, again, represents a nice combination between the traditional knowledge which is the, the, the fisher's knowledge that has been used and put in place in the, in the last decades and how they understand how they, they deal with these practices of fishing. And this is compared and this is equally valued and equally weighed into a, and this is a PhD student, in the, in the generation of knowledge from the uh, scientific knowledge generated data. So... I would say this is a nice example of how these shifting paradigms into what knowledge is and how knowledge could be created and, and whose knowledge is valid uh, is being explicitly said as, as equally important, as equally relevant. Yeah, within the fishery science team, uh, one of the challenges when I think about these types of multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary projects is that you know the biologists will go out and, and collect some quantitative information, for example, about the stock. And the sociologists might go out and do some interviews with fishers and they have quite different types of data sets. One might be quantitative and the other might be qualitative. And I'd be interested to hear from you how that fishery science team with having these different uh, disciplinary backgrounds um, or scientific expertise within the team, how do they go about discussing what they should do? Uh, do, Is it more of a process of physical data integration into a joint data set, or is it more of a, a qualitative consultative process between the different experts or the different researchers uh, about the different way forward after they've consulted their data on their own? 
Yeah, the combination of data obeys the questions we need to answer in the three working packages we have in the project. So we still have a very biology-based component that is the, the larvae, larvae description, biological uh, cycle of larvae from economic important fish species. So we keep that as, as one uh, component and, and it remains as it was before, simply because this description of larvae from species should be in the way it is. I mean, there's nothing to, to add to that. However, the results and, and findings of that component is, com is communicated and is uh, presented to the fishers uh, for them to have f their feedback and for them to get informed on what the results are. Data, for instance, on uh, oceanographic uh, variables of data from abundance and fish biomass in some devices that we have to collect more more data on fisheries resources are also shared with the with the fishers in workshops or meetings with them. So they basically are exposed to the quantitative data and they are informed of what the results are. Whether they are whether our scientists are combining data is also a matter of necessity into reporting to what or the other donor. However, the integration of data obeys the, the project uh, interest itself. So we, we don't have like one data getting um, imposed to the other set of data, either qualitative or quantitative, but more communication between the researchers into what the findings are, and then uh, redirecting or reformulating questions that could be uh, asked to either stakeholders or decision makers. So at the end of the day, the results of the project are trying to illustrate what the situation of fisheries is and what the necessities uh, in this context are towards uh, the achievement of fisheries sustainability. So in that context, we are also working with the market and the economy part of the fisheries simply because markets and, and economy uh, are the driver elements or the pushing and pulling factors into how and, 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 and into how and what kind of fisheries are being uh, used in Galapagos. So it's more like a combination of questions and a combination of interest into addressing one or X necessity into the, the, the project. So at the end of the day, what the project wants and the name of the project is fisheries uh, towards the sustainability of fisheries in Galapagos Marine Reserve. Yeah, well, I want to get into and hear from you about some of the other projects outside of the fisheries program. But since you mentioned the, the role of the economy in the fisheries program, uh, particularly taking that into consideration in, in, in the fisheries sector, I think when, when I think about Galapagos now, I think of it as a, as a tourism destination. And I would be interested to hear from your perspective the role of tourism um, and how that's changing and how that perhaps the growth of the tourism sector on the Galapagos Island is is shifting some of the sustainability problems or perhaps shifting the necessity uh, to focus research on different types of problems. Um, it'd be great to hear what you what you think about that. Yeah, the tourism sector started to, to grow in the 60s, 70s when the first tourism uh, cruise ships were established here in Galapagos. And this was the first format for tourism here for several decades. So since then, uh, the chief base tourism uh, has been or have been kept uh, constant, let's say, and we still have this, this format of tourism. And this, again, uh, tourism is, again, the major economic force uh, directing the local economy, Galapagos economy, obeys and, and, and is, circulates around the, the tourism industry. However, fisheries is also a sector and an important economic sector within the Galapagos context at small scale. So due to regulations into the Marine Reserve, Galapagos Marine Reserve has a special regulation and the entire Galapagos province has a special law that regulates the territory differently as the mainland Ecuador. So we still are Ecuadorian state uh, land and, and territory. However, Galapagos is ruled and by, by a different law. And this different law uh, states the treatment that we need to, to give to the resources here. And therefore, fisheries are only allowed into a small-scale uh, approach and only for those specific requirements which are fulfilled by fishers here. Therefore, fisheries and tourism are coexisting in, within the marine reserve mainly, 
and the weight economic the economic weight uh, tourism sector contributes to the local economy is substantial greater than the, the one fisheries does the local tourism uh, experienced a shift uh, a change in 2008-2009 obeying several social economic and geopolitics forces that determined that more mainland ecuadorians a middle-class mainland Ecuadorians who, at that time, could afford to travel to Galapagos. Until then, coming to Galapagos for standard mainland Ecuadorian was impossible. I mean, most of the Ecuadorian citizens from the mainland could never or never came to Galapagos due to high prices and uh, kind of the association of Galapagos with luxurious, luxurious uh, destina tourism destination. So just for you to have an idea, when I was a child, it was less expensive to go to Miami for a standard family than to come to Galapagos. Since 2008, this part, this format changed, and since then, the local national tourism has constantly or has been steadily increased into the last decade. It made that the ship-based tourism shift into the uh, land-based tourism as a hip-hop island tourism, which now is greatly uh, growing and is uh, causing that the format for tourism has changed. Uh, currently, the tourism numbers are, are increasing and, and the national authorities, the local authorities, Galapagos authorities are discussing and debating and reflecting on how to better address this uh, over never ending growing of, of tourism numbers, which at the end of the day, cause a, a bit of pressure of the, the natural capital. So us as a scientific station are trying to give data from the from our research to, to support and to advise the decisions being taken against the, the destruction of natural capital are, are urgent and are needed and therefore we are highlighting two main aspects of this challenge and threats which are uh, invasive species, for instance. The reason for most of the or the largest extinctions in the island's context are present in Galapagos as well. So we have two main species of uh, invasive species, the blackberry, which is severely affecting and greatly affecting uh, plant endemic and native species of plants in Galapagos. And the second one is the Philornis downsi, the vampire fly, which is affecting land bird population. More than 20 species of land bird populations in Galapagos archipelago is in serious risk of, of damage, and the populations are close. Some of them, the mangrove finch, for instance, is uh, very critically endangered and very close to, to extinction due to this fly, which parasites the nests in the chicks. So they suck, sucks the blood uh, from the chicks and, and, and cause uh, that breeding success is, is zero. So these two examples of Invasive species are constantly uh, addressed as the major driving forces into the capital natu natural capital affection within the Galapagos. And therefore, the more tourism and the more uh, activities in the islands demands more imports of goods and services. And the imports of goods, in this case, food, to supply the demand from local population and from tourist sector, also compromises and implies the risk of more inv uh, invasive species coming to the archipelago. So this is a scenario, a critical scenario, where currently we are trying to debate on what and how to, to better address it. Yeah, and I mean, this is, I think, hard to answer the question that I have now is, is tourism a sustainable model for the economy of and the conservation of the Galapagos Islands? I think on one side of the coin, you have this move away in a lot of other cases. Um, around the world where tourism is a move away from resource extraction based economies which are perhaps unsustainable or have been led to up to a point to be unsustainable and then you go and shift to a non-extractive economy which is which is more of a tourism based economy where you might not be consuming the resources but then this leads to more people coming um, who can share the resources uh, more from a public goods perspective um, and then that brings its own problems as you mentioned with with invasive species and i'd be interested to hear from your perspective do you think that the tourism the current tourism trajectory of the Galapagos is moving towards sustainability or can be a sustainable model if if managed in the correct way? Yeah, I, I truly believe if, if we all are in the same boat, uh, literally, we need to, to be aware that the sustainability of any activity, any economic activity in Galapagos is the only way to go. 
um, a lot of, of tourism uh, members of the sector members are, are convinced about that. Um, a lot of them are doing a lot of work and efforts into improving their operation using um, alternative energies, for instance, water treatment, waste, better waste management practices. And this is the way to go. So I, I don't, I don't uh, claim problems can be, can be gone or, or could be addressed easily. It's not easy. But unless we all uh, row in the same way, in the same direction, sustainability in Galapagos uh, cannot be uh, achieved. So yes, sustainability and sustainable tourism, sustainable fisheries can be done uh, only if those involved with the sectors are aware what the risks are. And the risk is to lose the natural capital all of us are, are getting benefited from. So unless the tourism sector, fisheries sector and all the sectors in Galapagos realize that the natural capital is only one and they depend, and all of us, the, the, the residents, depend upon it to, to as livelihood. Nothing will, will change. So yes, sustainability is the only way to, to understand this as a, as a complex system in the future. Yeah, well, I want to, to hear a little bit more of, about some of the other projects that you have going on um, in Charles Darwin Foundation. Maybe you can highlight a few of the other projects uh, outside of the fisheries science group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have 20, 20 projects currently, uh, 20 research projects. 11 are in the terrestrial dimension and 9 are in the marine dimension. So we have a quite a balanced agenda of research and we um, address dimensions of ecology and restoration and control and management of species and uh, trying to reestablish conditions in some other areas in the terrestrial area where they're damaged by uh, use of the misuse of land for in former time. So um, invasive species in the plant, in the plant uh, dimension is also uh, a project. The blackberry controlled uh, re restoration of degraded areas, land bird research, mangrove finch research uh, from agriculture, sustainable agricultural practices using uh, water safe technologies, the Filarnis Downsy Vampire Fly control and, and, and research. And from the, from the marine perspective, we have um, projects addressing sharks uh, distribution and, and migration routes, fishery sustainability, sea turtles project and risk of collision with maritime transportation, invasive marine species, biodiversity in the, in the, um, in the shore of the marine reserve. Mm, yes, those are, I believe, the training projects. If I miss one, I, I, I apologize. But I, I invite you to, to visit our website if you need more detail on www.darwinfoundation.org. Definitely. Yeah, we'll link to the, the website in the, sh the notes for this episode. Um, how many of those projects would you say have like a mix of human dimensions and, and natural science within them? Uh, all of them have natural sciences as a core as the core element so far. Uh, fisheries project has as the core team natural and social scientists, and the rest of the projects have mostly natural scientists, but they also deal with um, integration of education and outreach activities within the local community, which is not social sciences itself. Um, but they still are linked to some human dimensions into education and outreach activities with local students, for instance, and local actors and sectors in the, in the local community. My dream is to have this interdisciplinary teamwork for all the projects. I mean, involving social scientists within the teams in all the projects. To what extent I, it is possible to do? And I forgot to mention the Simmons project, which is a very interesting one nowadays, just now. Our scientists are in a submarine exploring the seabeds and the sea mounts in the marine reserve, um, together with an expedition with Sylvia Earle, Mission Blue. So this is another project I, I forgot. And some of them, like this project, the sea mounts project, is barely linked to, to human dimensions now because they are in the expedition part. So once we know what exactly that we have, it could be linked always. Yeah, I'm mindful of your time. I know you have to, to head out soon. I would be maybe the last thing interested in 
what is the project that makes you the most excited or, or either a current project that you have at the moment or a project which you think might materialize in the future? I will ask you as the science director of the Charles Darwin Station and not as Maria Jose Barragan because <laughs> the, the, the answer will be differently. <laughs> Institutional, institutionally speaking, all our projects obey uh, a mandate and, and urgency and priority from the National Park side. So it means that all the projects need an approval from the National Park Directorate and all of them respond to one or two or more objectives from the management, the management plan for the National Park. So it means that all our projects are equally urgent and equally relevant and all of them are needed in order for the national or local authorities to take decisions accordingly to the results we have. So the 20 projects we currently have obeys important, critical and urgent questions that we need to address in order for us to better understand how to deal with those challenges and, and, and urgencies. And we expect to, to continue with them, but also I, I also expect to have more funding to allocate to more human um, social sciences and humanities projects. And just one briefly um, example of that is an internal project we are currently developing without funding. I mean, we are investing our own funding in, in that and is the history of science in Galapagos. And the history of science, knowing that we became and we are the first scientific institution in the entire archipelago. And since 1959, we have been uh, the, the, the evidence of science being developing and evolving as this nice uh, symmetry, symmetry with the evolution of species. So this is an internal project from the humanities perspective, from the historian part that our uh, library and coordinator is, is, is uh, developing. So if you ask me, 20 projects are important. I won't tell you which is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's just great to hear that you're you're pushing this uh, interdisciplinary agenda with so many interesting and, and applied projects. Is before I before I let you go, is there anywhere where you want to guide listeners to find more information? You mentioned the website. Is there is there anywhere else that you would want to guide people to find more information about the about the organization to perhaps contact uh, if they're interested in getting involved in research or donating? Yes, sure. www.darwinfoundation.org Anyway, is my in my email contact the, the bottom plat is a, the website and some links and yes, Facebook uh, website, Instagram and YouTube are also um, available for people who are interested in following us and like us and of course in donating us are welcome and we are happy to keep keep in touch with anyone interested in our work. Thank you, Maria. It's been uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time. Stefan, for your invitation, and it was great to, to be in this uh, podcast. So I wish you good luck and yeah, all the best. If you enjoyed this episode of the Finding Sustainability podcast, please feel free to share it with friends, colleagues, and on social media. You can find us on Twitter at find underscore sust underscore pod, or you can visit our website www.essnetwork.net forward slash podcast. On the website, you will find a content and guest request form. Here we invite you to submit recommendations for content and guests you would like to hear on the podcast. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, and can also be streamed from our website. This podcast is part of the Environmental Social Science Network. For more information about the network and how to get involved, please visit our website, www.essnetwork.net. Thank you for supporting the podcast.